Hello, and welcome to the Earthside Echo, your source for all the latest dispatches from Earthside. For a long time, Kirai Unkoku has been one of the most dangerous and unpredictable Soulstone users in Malifaux. Many say that her grief and rage over the loss of her lover have driven her mad, but they have also nurtured her ability to summon spirits from beyond the grave. Rumour has it that Kirai has returned Earthside, and that her abilities are in high demand. I hope you enjoy part one of Scars That Teach. The sun had set on the Ghost Day Festival in Saigon, but the streets were still crowded with people dressed in masks, celebrating under the light of coloured lanterns. Families laughed and shared with each other. The eateries were full of people, and each table set out an extra plate of food, an offering to the departed. Girai Ankoku watched the crowds from a distance, feeling a sting in her chest. Demon, but they are happy, she thought. How different Saigon was from Malifaux. Its people appeared content and vibrant, as opposed to Malifaux's grim, wary citizens. There were some similarities, however. Vietnam had been dismissed as a backwater, even by those within the Three Kingdoms. But Saigon now had electric street lamps, paved roads and automobiles darting between bicycles and rickshaws. And the guild ruled here. Their soldiers, armed, armoured, and sometimes joined by gnashing mechanical beasts, stood at many street corners. The guildsmen looked rested and bored. The threats they faced were too ordinary, too human. Kirai's fingers twitched and she felt the cool metal of her shears hidden under her kimono, how quickly she could change that, show them a real threat. But she took a steadying breath. No, now was not the time for personal grudges. She walked two more blocks and turned down an alley marked with a black lantern. The door at the far end was reinforced metal, decorated with slips of paper scored with slashes of ink. Or Fuda charms, Kirai thought. In Nippon, many carried them for good luck or protection. Her Vietnamese was poor, but she recognised similar incantations on these. Symbols of containment, control. They were designed to hold in angry spirits. This had to be the right place. She knocked. A peephole slid open, revealing only darkness on the other side. What? Le Chao send me. A pause. Money first. Kirai drew a roll of guild script from her sleeve and slid it through the hole. Just a second. The peephole shut. She heard locks being disengaged, and the door opened. The room within was small, made from brick and tile. A mortician slab dominated the room, and clean surgical tools hung from one wall. A corpse lay on the table, blonde and male, stripped of its clothes. The man who opened the door was Beanpole Thin, with a sharp chin and rat-like features. A coiling tiger tattoo covered most of his left forearm. Nobody? he asked. Kirai stepped through the door. No. I am here about different job. My name is Kurai. The rat man frowned. Ben Nguyen. Maybe you wanna wait outside. We're not done with this one yet. Instead, Kirai folded her arms in front of her and leaned against the wall. I will wait. Suit yourself. Sochon. Get up, you lazy ox. Time to work. Shadows moved in a corner of the room and a man stood up. 
He was tall and broad, with a lantern jaw and eyes that were slightly too close together. He made a bashful face when he saw Kerai. Hello, miss, Sushong greeted. He smiled and bowed, eager as a well-behaved child. Kirai let an eyebrow arch up. Hello. Stop flirting. Bin barked. I want to get rid of this one. He's starting to smell. Sushong nodded. He swirled his hands over the body as if snatching invisible reeds, then clapped his palms together. From his robe, he produced a string of lacquered prayer beads and began to chant in a rhythmic croak. Kirai felt the shift of power instantly. Most spellcasters, she knew, would dwarf him in terms of power, but Sushong was no slouch. The fact that he was not carrying a soul stone only made it more impressive. Sushong continued his chant, thumbing the prayer beads. Bin sat off to the side, looking bored, and lit another cigarette. After several minutes, Kirai felt the presence of a spirit enter the room. The smoke from Bin's cigarette coalesced into a cloud above the corpse, taking on the image of the dead man. Bin came forward, removing items from his robe. He placed a porcelain mask of a leering horned demon over the corpse's face, binding it with string. He then cut the corpse's thumb with a small blade and touched the blood to the ink of a Nafuda charm. The charm shimmered with white and purple flame, charged with power. Kirai mentally applauded Bin's insight. Lacking a soul stone, he sapped whatever latent energies he could from the corpse itself. It was a sip of power, but it would be enough. The ghost opened its eyes, confused. It tried to move, but some invisible force trapped it. Kirai recognised Sushong's purpose then. Bring the spirit forth and hold it in place. Bin slapped his charge of Fuda against the spirit's face, and it threw back its head with a scream. The sound was silent, held back by Sushong's incantation, but Kirai felt an odd rattle in her ribcage just the same, and a feeling of despair and helplessness came with it. Bin took hold of the spirit by gripping the Afuda. With both hands, he pushed the spirit down to the body. Kirai saw its energies swirling down into the mask like water down a drainpipe. But something was wrong. The spirit shuddered, straining against its doom. His face red with tension, Sushong raised his voice as he chanted, and beads of sweat formed at his temples. Suddenly, the spirit broke free, and Sushong was hurled backward. The ghost scream erupted in the small space, louder than any human could make. Kirai's hand went for her shears. She would have to... Bin snarled something, slashing his hand through the spirit. Purple fire erupted from his touch, and the ghost shrank back enough for him to shove the ghost into the mask. There was a flash of light, an audible whoomph, and the spirit vanished, its scream fading into a distant echo. Both men sank back, gasping for breath. Bin scowled at his partner and yelled in Vietnamese, Idiot! Chant Hada next time! He stood up, stretching his shaking limbs. Sorry, Bin, Sushong responded, his voice folding in guilt. Kirai stepped forward. Impressive! Both men stared at her, as if she had just appeared in the room. Smiling, she opened her senses to the beyond. The ghost was still present, drifting near its body, but now it wore a mask identical to that of its corpse. It floated limply, devoid of any awareness. I know now why Lai Chao value your skills, Kirai proclaimed. There was a time when the dead kept their secrets, but the guild has ways of interrogating ghosts. 
not this one. Ben responded, like Charles and Joe. What for? We only do one shot a night. Sushong pushed to his feet, his limbs trembling with exhaustion. I'm hungry, Ben. In truth, I was not sent by Lai Chao, Kirai admitted. That was to get me through the door. I am here on behalf of another, one called Aumak. Never heard of him, Ben confessed, and Lai Chao doesn't rent out his property. The last word dripped with venom. He scratched at a tattoo on his left arm, some gang script. Kirai recognised it, for the guild had similar brands for indentured servants, convicts and outright slaves. She shook her head. Few have heard of him. He is a wealthy individual who seeks men of your skill, our skill. Bin looked her over. You're a sawbinder? Still smiling, she curled her finger in the air and the masked ghost became visible. It drifted towards her, falling into place at her side, and mimicked her gesture. Bin uttered something in Vietnamese that she couldn't translate. Almak wishes to speak with you, Kirai insisted, dismissing the spirit with a whim. Keep the money as an advance, with the promise that Lai Chao will not know of this meeting. What's his offer, then? Kirai handed him a small card with an address. Be here tomorrow night. Almak will make the offer himself. The two men exchanged glances. We'll think about it, Ben replied. Now if you don't mind, this next part gets messy. Wouldn't want to ruin that nice dress. Kirai bowed. Sushong returned it, polite as ever. She left as Bin took a bone saw down from the wall. Is this the place? Sushong asked in Vietnamese. The address led them to an office on the edge of the harbour. De Will's Global Imports was written on the side of the building in both Vietnamese and English. Guess so. Bin responded. Tinkara is here. Bin gave him a look. You got a crush on her? Sorry, Sushong. That one only has eyes for another. And he's more likely dead. Sushong's brow furrowed. How do you know? The way she got the ghost. All the sadness in her eyes. You got to pay attention to details. Bin knocked on the front door. A man in grey answered, giving them a silent but curious stare. Bin held up the address card. A lady named Karai sent us. Bin struggled with his English. The doorman led them inside. The interior was immaculately furnished and full of European imports. Polished wood desks and chairs, French carpets. The whole place felt like another world. Their silent greeter led them through the halls, past people busy performing whatever kind of paperwork their jobs required of them. Bin curled his lip and spoke again in Vietnamese. This is why we don't work legit. It seems relaxing, Sushong whispered. You can't read anyways. They ascended two flights of stairs and reached a door marked General Management. The servant bowed to them and walked away. You're sure about this, Bin? Sushong asked. We've come this far. Kirai opened the door on the third knock. She smiled and bowed, and Sushong eagerly returned her courtesy. Bin shook his head. So, we came. Where's this Aymak guy? Inside was a private office, or maybe a den. The walls were lined with books, 
save for a floor-to-ceiling window that looked out over the Saigon River in its sizable harbour. A coffee table with four high-backed chairs sat in the corner of the room. A man stood up from one chair and smiled at the two soulbinders. His most distinguishing feature seemed to be that he had no distinguishing features. Not old, not young, not tall or short, not fat or thin. His robe was neither expensive nor cheap. Welcome, gentlemen. I am Almac. Would you care for some tea? Wine? He spoke plainly, in English, with a voice as forgettable as his appearance. No thanks. My brother and I just want to know what this is about. Of course. Please sit down. They did so. Souchong perched awkwardly, too big for his chair. I will be blunt. My master, Kirai's employer, has been searching the globe for certain individuals such as yourselves. You have been active for many years, correct? Bin shrugged. Since we were young. Since the death of your mother. Sushong jumped out of his chair so quickly that it fell over. Who, who told you of this? Elmac held up a hand. I apologise. My master values knowledge. When we heard rumour of Lai Chao's cellbinders, we learned as much as we could before Kirai approached you. She clearly feels you have potential, or you would not be here speaking with me. Why go to the trouble? Ben asked. Recruitment, of course. My master wishes to make you part of his organization. An important part, if your talents prove worthy of the task he has set for you. Which is? Ilmac stood. My master is a learned man, who sees a bigger picture than most. Over the years, he has studied the course of the world. He sees great changes on the horizon. War on a global scale. Ben swallowed. We can't silence an army of ghosts, he argued. You mistake his intention. My master is already versed in keeping secrets, but he wishes to alter the course of these wars to suit his own ends. He needs a force to serve him, an army, but armies require resources and create a trail of evidence that could allow the wrong people to learn my master's purpose. He paced around the circle of chairs. But if he had an army of unfailingly loyal soldiers, one that did not need to march, did not need to eat or sleep, one that could slip through the thickest defences, attack and vanish into thin air. Ben sat up. You mean a ghost army? Our Mac smiled. Quite literally. Ben stared at the floor, considering the implications. Then he shook his head. We can't help you. My brother can silence a spirit. I can bind them. But neither of us can command the dead. You are inexperienced, but Kira is willing to train you. Many have already learned from her guidance. Omak crept around Bin's chair like a panther waiting for the right moment to strike. Imagine the possibilities. No more working in basements, banding murder victims and chopping up corpses for Lao Chao. You would have real power, and a position in my master's organization to rival through others. That means respect, wealth, and more importantly, freedom from La Chao. His reach is nothing compared to that of my master. Bin and Sushong exchanged glances. Suppose we say no. What then? 
Oh, Max's smile didn't waver, but his posture became colder somehow. He retreated to his seat and sat down, staring at them over steepled fingers. Then you may leave of your own volition, of course. The tattoo on Bin's arm suddenly itched. He scratched it, his fingers scraping over faded ink. Omak made no attempt to hide the lie between his widening grin, and Bin knew that if he refused Omak's offer, their lives would end as soon as they left the office. The information that they were given was too valuable to let leave the room. Then again, the proposition was enticing on its own. Auguste Army. Bin thought for a moment. My Auguste Army. Bin's eyes shifted from Aumak to Souchon, who was seemingly oblivious to the situation, to Kirai, who watched him with detached patience. Bin was sure if he said no, she was the one who would cut him down. He cleared his throat, slowly drawn to the dirty proposition of power. Fine. When do we get started? That night, they rode out of Saigon in an automobile. Kirai and Aomak sat up front, speaking in Nipponese, which Bin could not translate. Bin and Sushong sat in the back, with Bin crushed against the door by his enormous brother. Sushong pressed his face to the window, watching the countryside roll by with quiet trepidation. Sushong would take days to realise it, but Bin already knew they were in over their heads. Lai Chao had been their employer by way of indentured servitude, and the only hope of going behind the tiger's back had compelled Bin to accept Karai's offer, dragging his poor brother along for the ride. Now fear held them both. He yearned for an escape, even as he admitted in the back of his mind that the temptations of Aomak's offer had appeal. To wield an army? The Ten Thunders were an army. The Guild was an army. Bin Nguyen could have an army. It was insane, of course. After all, where one lie begins... Others are quick to follow. But still, the appeal of it filled him with a previously suppressed hunger. Perhaps that could be his escape. He would learn all he could, succeed in Karai's lessons and rise above them. Then he would have an army. Then he could walk all over Almac, tell his master to kiss himself someplace hard to reach, and he and his brother could make a kingdom of their own in Saigon. Or maybe they'd both be dead. Bin scratched his arm and frowned. We're here. Omak sung, stopping the car. They exited into a small clearing. The lights of Saigon glowed dimly to the south. Fields of tall grass waved in the evening breeze. Omak opened the trunk of the vehicle. So, Jean, you have a strong back. Please unpack for us. Uh, of course, Sushong muttered. He unloaded several boxes. Supplies and tents, Omak explained. I will return every week to renew your supplies. I thought we were supposed to work with ghosts. What are we supposed to do here? Bin asked. Gump. Go fishing. Look at your feet, fool. Kirai chided. Bin glanced down. He was standing on a flat, cracked slab of rock. Kirai lit a lantern for him to see. It was a grave marker, a tombstone, they were standing in a graveyard, old and forgotten. You will have plenty of test subjects, Aomak assured. He entered his car and departed. Bitch the tents, Kirai ordered. We begin shortly. You have not adapted your senses to see spirits. 
instead calling them from beyond to manifest here. That is dangerous and sloppy. We will change that first. Concentrate, Kirai hissed. Bin scowled, pouring his mental energies into the spirit that floated before him. An old man, with a back bent from a life of rice farming. It groaned and twisted, trying to pry itself free of his mental grip. He compelled it to obey, to submit. But despite its weary look, it fought with iron will. I cannot hold it, he grunted. Kirai leaned near his shoulder. The spirit is drawn to despair. It will remember the things it has lost and seek them out. Make them your bed, your anchor. Bin gritted his teeth, trying to draw on the emotions Kirai described. Instead, the ghost burst free with a rasp of anger and swooped toward him. Sushong clapped his hands together, smashing the ghost with the force of his will. The spirit began to struggle again, but feebly. Bin drew forth an afuda and slapped it against the spirit's face. The charm burned into the shape of a spectral mask bound to the spirit's face, and it ceased its struggling. You did it! Sushong exclaimed. Curious, Bin mentally nudged the ghost. It waved its arm for him and turned lazily in place. Grinning, Bin turned to face Kirai, but her scowl stole his enthusiasm. You still depend on your brother! She scolded. Sushong, you are too quick to help. This is a task your brother must learn on his own. But the spirit would have attacked. Let it attack then. Scars are the best teachers. Sushong made a sorrowful face. But... Kirai sighed. She banished the spirit from their presence with a wave of her hand. Enough for tonight. Make dinner. Bin frowned and gave his brother a supportive slap on the shoulder. Kirai walked into the field and out of earshot as she often did when one of their lessons ended poorly. She spent a lot of time in that field. Three weeks we've been out here. See the ghost bin, bind the ghost bin, make the ghost dance on your head bin. Bin sighed. She is not very nice, Sushong admitted, wincing. Bin nodded but said nothing. They boiled rice and vegetables over the fire and mixed them with some of the smoked fish from their supplies. It was bland but filling. When Kirai returned, she sat near their fire without touching her food. I would know you better, she ordered. Tell me of your lives. The brothers exchanged glances. Bin shrugged. Not much to say. We lived with our mother until I was thirteen and he was ten. Mother chopped fish in the market. I went to school. He didn't. Sushong's face pinched. The children made fun of me. How did you discover your abilities? Kirai prodded. Ayomak said it was when your mother died. Sushong whimpered. Yes, she died, and we tried to bring her back. Bin's voice stiffened along with his posture. We failed. Kirai was familiar with the unwillingness of sharing one's past. It was a mask she often wore herself. I too have lost someone. Someone dear. Kirai somberly spoke, as her thumb rubbed against a serpentine ring resting on her middle finger. The pen never goes away. The regret. Bin, or anyone alive for that matter, had never seen that side of Kirai. She was vulnerable. Her callousness and rigidity were temporarily wiped away alongside the lonely tear from her face.
There was a robbery. One of them tried to take mother's wages. Ben interrupted. It was all she had, so she tried to gut him. He was quicker. Sushong's shoulders heaved as he began to sob. He put down his food and turned away from the fire, hands to his ears. Bin gave him a pat on the back. All Sushong wanted was to have his mother back. All I wanted was for my brother to stop crying. We spoke to the man who buried her. He told us about speaking to ghosts. It took a long time, but we managed to bring mother back. But she was wrong, angry, crazy. She killed two men, including the man who buried her. We took his tools. I didn't know what we were doing, but we managed to silence her. He sniffed, dug out a cigarette and lit it. We lived on streets for a while. Lai Chao heard about us. He offered us pay for our work. He spat on the ground at his feet. Story of our damn lives. Kirai stared at the fire for a moment. You could have stepped away from Iomak's offer. Oh, I'm sure. Bin growled. Doesn't matter. He's got us by the balls. Probably had us long before we ever heard his name. Kirai nodded. Men of power often do. Is that why you are here, then? Because you feel helpless? Yes. Bin responded while he rubbed the tattoo on his forearm. Le Chao, Guild, Ten Thunders, whoever you guys work for, I don't care. I'm sick of people walking over me and my brother. And you, Su Shang, what do you want? Kirai asked. Su Shang wiped his eyes. I want to be with my brother. There was a long silence between them. Very well. You should rest. We will continue tomorrow evening. The next day, Omak returned with supplies, including a small black bag he kept tied to his wrist. Kirai's eyes flashed at the sight. She spoke to Omak in Nipponese, and the two came to some kind of agreement. Omak's eyes found Bin's and smiled that cold, empty smile. When Omak had departed, Kirai held up the bag. You have made some progress. Now it is time to taste real power. Hold out your hand. The brothers obeyed. Kirai deposited a small crystal into each of their palms. It glowed with a pale light. This is... Bought from Malifor, at great expense. Kirai smiled bitterly, and charged with energy for considerably less. There will be no excuse for failure now. When they were prepared, Kirai sent Bin forward, and he began to summon his will. The soul stone pulsed in his grip, and he felt a rush that made his mind spin and his body as light as air. It was like frozen, liquid lightning rushed through his blood and bones. Ecstatic and almost overwhelmed, he aimed his will at the graveyard. The lingering souls became faint purple masses of light in his supercharged senses. Gritting his teeth, he made a fist, holding a spirit in place with ease. It trembled in his grip as he willed it forward and touched it with his outstretched hand. A mask burned itself onto the ghost's face, and its struggles subsided. He sent the spirit dancing about the graveyard, its limbs swaying limply at its sides. Where they touched the long stalks of grass or grazed over a forgotten tombstone, the spirit's limbs carved like iron scythes. 
Suddenly, the energy of the soul stone vanished, and the effort of keeping control dissolved with it. Bin gasped as the absence of energy became a vacuum, pulling at his own life force, and the world went black. Sometime later, he awoke with Karai and Sushong standing over him. Sushong's face was red with tears. What happened? Bin asked. His head felt like it had been split with an axe. A common mistake, Kirai explained. She held up Bin's soulstone. It was now a dull, milky white. You tasted power, lost control, and wasted it. She turned to Sushong. Now you. I expect you to exercise greater control. Sushong's face paled. He shook his head and dropped the soulstone on the ground. I hate it. I hate the energy I fear in it. It fears sick and lost. It will make you stronger, Bin insisted, sitting up. It makes you cruel. Sushong bowed his head even as he spoke. Bin glared at him and picked up the soulstone. Fine, be a lazy dumb ox. Sushong went into his tent and did not come out for some time. Bin practiced all week to refine his control. He squeezed a typhoon of power down into a trickling rain, enough to bind a soul and command it, but leaving enough power for more. Soon, Kirai had him attempting to bind multiple spirits, demonstrating her own skill by calling forth her own. With each success, Bin considered a part of his old self, small, directionless, trapped, stripped away, and replaced with a sense of confidence he hadn't known since he was a child. I feel like I can walk into Lai Chao's tavern and force-feed that old man every soul he's ever had me bind. Bin told them one evening around their campfire. You mustn't say that, Sushong pleaded. Lai Chao took us in when we were nothing. Lai Chao used us because we had something he wanted. Bin argued. He only saved us because we profited him. In a bout of abrupt and unbridled anger, Bin tossed what food he had left into the fire, stomped toward the tombstones, and continued his training. That's it for another episode of the Earthside Echo. Join us next time for the conclusion of Scars That Teach.